All right, my friends, and welcome once again to another episode here of the Red Delta Project podcast, helping you to be fit and live free by taking a fundamental approach to diet and exercise. As always, I'm Matt Schifferly, and today we have got the man. We have Zach Evanish here, one of the OGs of the Red Delta Project. To basically put it into simple terms, without Zach, there would be no RDP. And I'm thrilled to have him here because he's got this great, awesome, wonderful new book out there called uh, Iron Journeys, Five Powerful Lessons to Unleash Your True Potential in Life. No matter what game you're in, whether it's calisthenics, bands, just lifting rocks in the middle of the woods, you need to read this book. Because when it comes down to getting the true essence of effective training of mind, body, and lifestyle, takes a hell of a lot more than just weight and reps. And Zach knows that better than anybody. So I'm going to turn right on over. Zach, thank you so much. Welcome to the RDP podcast. Hey, brother. So great to be here. You know, of course, I see the mountain bikes in the back. I remember our early conversations. Um, Did we meet before 2010? Was it like 08, 09? Yeah, probably around 08. That sounds about right. I first... uh, First time I ever ran into you was at a Ryan Lee conference. Oh, wow. uh, it was one of those where uh, he was having people up on stage and there were like mastermind groups that he was doing. And that was the first time I ever came across you like in person. I think I was subscribed to your newsletter before that. And just everything about your attitudes and your presence of how you taught people was just so over the top from everyone else there. And ever since then, I have been following you, and you've been a true mentor to me. It's love it, man. I remember you came to the first ever one-day certification for the Underground Strength Coach cert. Remember, you were recording, yeah, like during like a break after the first workout. Uh, I probably I think using a flip cam back then. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> nobody. Yeah. You got to be, you know, if uh, you don't know what a flip cam is. It was basically like a, it looked like the size of an iPhone, had a little tripod. You would hold it and then plug it into your computer to upload it. That's how, you know, that's why when you look at my old YouTube videos, they've got that kind of blur to them because the technology was, was pretty bad back then. <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't very good. I think 720p was considered high definition back then. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, you have, you've been basically in the back of my mind all this time, I mean, essentially, too, there would be no RDP. And I mean that because everything that was built off of the whole approach that I use in my business, my fitness and everything is based on the framework of the underground strength certifications and the books that I've read of yours and everything. Everything was based off of that uh, with modifications and tweaks here and there. But it's been a hell of a journey. And honestly, it's long overdue to have you on this podcast because you've been there every step of the way. Yeah, it's been, you know, cool. I uh, came across a lot of your body weight videos. And so I remember you had attended um, a Dragon Door seminar. Was it the uh, Naked Warrior or the uh, Convict Conditioning? What what was Yeah, that? Yeah, so that was the, I went to the first PCC, the Progressive Calisthenics Challenge they had in Minneapolis. Uh, that was the first one that they hosted. And there were a lot of people there. There were like 70 or 80 people at that first one. It was huge. And uh, then several years later, they came out with the SCC, which was kind of the more condensed version. And I attended the first one of those as well. Uh, and that was 
very much a, a game changer as well for uh, the direction of my career. I mean, I even work at basically a PCC gym right now, uh, which uh, it's just, and everything came from convict conditioning, which again, you were sending out in your emails saying, yeah, you guys check this book out. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And what's, what's crazy too is uh, they sent me, you know, an early edition, a preview edition, <clears throat> and I loved it. I always loved body weight training. And uh, when I read that book, I always enjoyed kind of any book. I enjoy the stories behind why somebody's doing something. So why are you doing all these pushups or why did you turn body weight training into a strength focused versus, you know, a high repetition focus. So the stories were great. And uh, what's crazy is I had done reviews of the book and I was like, who knows if Paul Wade is real. And I said, I don't, I honestly don't care if he's fiction or nonfiction. And uh, John Duquesne sent my encyclopedia of underground strength to him. And he emailed me and uh, you know, whatever his email was, but he signed off as Paul Wade. Maybe that's a, a moniker, a fake name, but the guy who wrote the book is out there. So it wasn't um, maybe he was in that prison. I, I really don't know. But when you came to the cert, I believe you were in New Hampshire, maybe Vermont. I can't remember where are, and then where are you now, Colorado or back on the East Coast? Yeah, I'm bouncing all over the place. <laughs> I was in Vermont, uh, living in Vermont when I went to the first certification. And then you had your level two. And for that one, we literally, my partner and I, we moved to Colorado, literally arrived in Denver, unpacked the truck. And then I immediately drove to the airport and flew back to the East Coast to New Jersey for the level two. Uh, we just crisscrossed the country twice in like two days. So, well, that's great. The adventure behind it. And, uh, you know, I wonder if like, uh, I remember your, we, we called you Quadzilla at the first cert because we were like, Jesus Christ, your legs, your calves. You're like, well, I do all this mountain biking and, you know, mountain biking in New Jersey is different than mountain biking in Vermont. I, I've uh, spent some time in Vermont at Joe DeSena's place and his backyard uh, backs up to a mountain. He's like right down the road from Killington. And I saw, <clears throat> I, I hiked that mountain, but I see guys biking it. <clears throat> and it is like going down is death defying and going up is like hell. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like, if you want great downhill, you need to go through hell and pedal uphill. That's the only way it's happening. Yep. Yep. And now, now, yeah, I'm out here in Colorado. And so things are even more, literally and figuratively elevated because we got the altitude and I'm right up against the Rocky Mountains. So nothing you do is flat. It's either straight up or straight down the entire time. <laughs> What's that area considered, Matt? Is it Denver? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in Metro Denver right here. And when you go West and you hit the first bumps, they don't really call that the Rockies. They call that the foothills or the front range. Right. And those are, you know, on the East Coast, we'd call them mountains, but here they're just hills and they go up to about 7,000 feet uh, or so in elevation. But then you go even a little further out and that's when you hit the Rockies and you're well above 10,000, uh, 11,000 feet for a lot of that. And that altitude hits you pretty hard and fast when you're riding at that type of height. The, uh, you know, the Olympic Training Center 
is out there. So I, I see a lot of the wrestlers, even the college guys, they go out there and they do that Manitou they, or yep. Manitou. What's that called? The Manitou? Yep, Manitou the Manitou incline, 2,000 <clears throat> feet straight up. <laughs> What's your best time on that? <laughs> I, I did, because when I first moved to Colorado, I actually lived five minutes from the incline. And so I did it on a weekly basis. And I think I got just a smidge over 40 minutes going up. And I think it was like 42 and change. I'm gonna, that I was able to get up it. I'm gonna and, put uh, in touch with a friend of mine who lives near there. So are you kind of close to that still or no? Not anymore. It's a good hour and a half drive now to get there. But we've got something even better. If you ever come out to Denver, I gotta show you this place. So halfway between here and Manitou Springs, because Manitou Springs, the incline gets all the credit. It's big, it's hard, but it's also now pretty touristy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's pay for parking and all this stuff. But we've got a place down in Castle Rock, which is halfway the distance uh, to get there, and called Philip S. Morris Park. And they have what they call the, the mini incline. And the mini incline is literally a tenth of the height. It's 200 steps instead of 2,000. But it's still this progressive steep incline that you go up. And it's fun watching people do it the first time because they all like truck and they're running up it like, yeah, I'm going to. And then they get about halfway and they start going slower. And then about two thirds of the way, you just see them hang their head and they just can't take another step because your legs turn to lead like that. And by the time you get to the top, you feel like your heart's going to explode. Uh, and that's a lot more fun, in my opinion, because you can sprint it. You could sprint and, uh, it. It's, <clears throat> you got to be... Uh... You know, when you do it on the regular, like Joe DeSena, when he lived in Vermont, you know, outside of the times tra that he would travel for business, <clears throat> he would be uh, he would uh, start the day with a uh, mountain and then he would always finish the day like at 4 p.m. before it would get dark. And um, when I was there uh, a while ago, we did a wrestling camp there and uh, his son got off the school bus. And was going up the hill immediately. And it was just so natural for them to walk up. And I was like, you know, it's like anything else. If you train it on the regular, it just becomes easy. So Joe, <clears throat> I remember uh, we actually did a, a strength coach mastermind out there. And, uh, you know, Joe kicks everybody's butt. That's like any meeting with Joe involves him trying to, like, make you quit. And, like, just <laughs> and uh, he grabbed lunch from the general store. It was a uh, hamburger with just a piece of lettuce. He put it in a bag and just kind of nonchalantly held on to it. Everybody else is like clawing their way up the mountain. And uh, we're like 10 minutes behind. And Joe is not even sweating. And we're halfway up. He sees the tree. He sits down, eats, and continues to go. Like the, the intense activity didn't disturb his body, his appetite. It was so impressive. But I have a friend who I think is near the Manitou, Manitou Incline. I'm going to put you guys in touch. And uh, he's a great guy, Joe Hashi, but he's always doing kind of like physical challenges. Uh, he, I don't know if he, hopefully um, I don't regret the introduction because he's almost like a Joe DeSena. He ropes you into doing crazy activities. And it could, you know, I'm afraid that Matt, you're going to reach out to me and be like, Doc, I thought I was just meeting Joe for a cup of coffee. And before I knew it, you know, we were climbing mountains for eight hours. So, uh, you know, I'm going to introduce you, but there's a little warning that, you know, feel free to be like, I'm busy. 
<laughs> well, you know. I, oh, man. I relish that sort of thing, though, because it's always important to get around people that expose you to new ways of pushing yourself, not just pushing yourself in general, but just different ways of perceiving what you're doing. Because it's so easy to get stuck in a rut of this is just the way it's done or this is the way I've always done it kind of stuff. And there are so many great ways to get strong and so many ways to challenge yourself. And if we just stay in our own little zone of what we know and feel comfortable with, we just never experience those sorts of things. Come, you know, uh, I did a podcast with Spartan Up and uh, they had a retired uh, army colonel, Colonel Nine. He said, comfort is a cage. You know, you start, you, you in, encage yourself, uh, but you're comfortable in it. You're like, yeah. And they say exactly what you said. Well, this is what I've always done. And you don't just hear adults saying that. You'll hear like a 16-year-old say something like that. And I'm like, always what? You're like, you're 16. <laughs> like, how much experience do you have in training? You know, little things like, <clears throat> so I train at uh, this high school, about 200 athletes a day. You know, I'll sometimes have a freshman say, oh, I always did it this way. And it's like, bro, you're 14 or 15. You had, you know, I, the it's like I'm almost dumbfounded at what to say, you know, at these things. You have to try different things, um, even if you're not an athlete, because that's the ultimate form of training for life. Because when we get injured doing things, <clears throat> we're often getting injured, not always, but often we get injured doing something that's a little bit out of our, you know, normal realm of movement. So this is why I also encourage full range of motion exercises. So if I notice an athlete is regularly not squatting deep, I let them know, listen, when you play football or soccer or wrestling, when you get put into like a deep stretch or maybe what your body views as a precarious position, um, you're not only going to physically kind of uh, fold, but emotionally and psychologically, you'll get scared and you'll want to uh, like you'll want to quit in the moment. And so <clears throat> that's where a lot of those early days underground strength training, those methods were very beneficial for football and wrestling because they were getting put in precarious positions. But we were doing things like picking up sandbags getting very low, but crouching to one side on the lap, crouching this way, that way, you know, carrying different objects. Um, and that's why I, I actually, I always say if I lived in a place like just now it was raining torrential downpour, if I could, you know, uh, like Southern California, that doesn't really get much rain. I would want to have the gym outside. <clears throat> so there's not, I would want the sun the natural air, the natural lighting. I wouldn't just want weights. I'd want uh, old playground equipment like parallel bars, like what you see in, uh, like I've seen it on the beaches of Brazil. You see old Russian playgrounds that basically look like um, gymnastics uh, setups, but they're outdoor playgrounds. You know, ba bars, like what you have behind you. Is that a uh, pull-up bar with the ladder? Yeah, so this is this is a new unit that hasn't quite come out yet. A buddy of mine up in Boulder uh, builds uh, his own equipment. And yeah. when I got to this new place, I moved here a few months ago, and I've got the um, 
bodyweight master from Dragon Door, and it doesn't, there's no room for it here. So he's like, oh, I've got something for you. I'll send it to you. So this is called a dash, and uh, that's the model name. But basically, it's a very narrow stall bar with a big outrig pull-up bar that you can use. It takes up no room. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great little piece for a small apartment like this. Yeah. What do you attach band? It looks like you have bands behind it, Matt. Yep. Yep. So I've got um, some uh, suspension straps. Uh, you've got bands that you can attach to it. Some isometric straps as well. It's basically one of these simple devices that it doesn't even have any adjustments or anything, but it just has all these points that you can grab and you can pull and you can twist and you can attach things to it. So simple yet versatile is the way that sucker works, just like a lot of uh, basic old school strength equipment. Exactly. So what do you have to make sure you just drilled it into uh, the beams? Oh, man, that was a that was a total uh, circus trying to get this thing installed because it, the way it's designed is to fit onto 16 inch uh, wooden studs. Yep. But this is a very new apartment complex, so they don't have any wood in, in the, the walls. It's all metal. So I had to make like five trips to the Home Depot, basically showing them pictures of what I had. And I was like, how in the world do I make this thing work on drywall? And I've got about 16 anchors, just drywall anchors, oh, uh, where it pulls on to, to anchor to it. And it, it's... It's in. It's sturdy, but it was not a conventional setup. What you could have done is uh, actually taken like uh, two by fours and connected them to the like what you said. There's like steel behind mm -hmm. it. The frame. Yep. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a handy guy, but it's like interesting now with like new construction. Um, things are changing and also like their inability to get wood. And everything's just, it's interesting how expensive things have gotten. But I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, okay, I would do pull-ups. You know what exercise I love? You know, a bodyweight skull crusher. Yeah. Love yep. that. I do it with rings because I could yep. kind of walk them in and out. But um, yep. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in my gym, <clears throat> uh, not the first one you were at, but the one like I've I've had for about 10 plus years, 10 and a half years. Baron Manasquan. Yep. We have yep. stall bars. Mm -hmm. What I did was I sent uh, screenshots. You know that Polish um, weightlifting video on YouTube? Oh, God. I've, I've watched a bunch. What what one are you talking about where they're working on the playground equipment? or? Um, it's a black and white uh, video, and it's Polish weightlifters. It begins with them like training outside, like cross country skiing, uh, mm. rock, jumping over stuff. But long yep. story short, I sent him a video clip where they're training in a like gymnastics uh, room and they had stall bars. And I said, Can you build this for me, steel? And then I would like install it. I was going to put it in my Edison gym. And because I was always so into body training, but I was like, Man, if I put it here, and we get busy, then I'm not going to have, it was going to kind of be out like a rack. So mm -hmm. I, it, so he made, now they sell them, but I was like the first like um, model of it, uh, kind of, you know, just like an experiment. So we have it where I could, you know, do those exercises with hand, or I've got rings attached. And I did like, um, I took like little parts of like uh, strap connectors that you would maybe like connect to like a grip, you know, something yep. 
different grip, but then I put different pull-up bar attachments on there. I'm a big fan of like thick grip stuff, but we have a lot of middle school kids and sometimes their, their hands are too small for like something that's two inches. But I think for adult men who have, I'd say, you know, an average level of strength, like you could do 10 pull-ups. That's probably not considered average nowadays. I think uh, no. that's considered like quite advanced, but if you could do 10 pull-ups, I would start doing thick grip stuff. So um, on your pull-up bar, I would probably <clears throat> use the fat grips. Although the yep. fat grips is they kind of, they roll, they slide, but you know what I might do? Uh, I'm just like thinking already. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> You're like me. You're like, what can I do with this? Let's just... <laughs> get, um, I would make like a pipe or I would get actually PVC, Matt. You could get PVC yep. and two inch and just slide it over those outside handles. See, yep. let me know if you could, I, I know you could do it. That would be I'm, very difficult. So you go into the hardware store right after this. You got it. That's a great idea. Cause it's got the rotation, but, well, um, the thing with PVC that's great that I've, I've done, because I've made all sorts of my own grips with it, is if you take a, um, like PVC, the problem with PVC is that, of course, it has a slick surface. So if you're sweaty, it doesn't adhere chalk very well. So what you do is you take a razor blade, and you got to be careful, is, and you take the tip of the razor blade and you score it down the length of the handle. And when you do that, it creates an ever so slight ridge right where the blade makes contact right. with it you do that all the way around and it gets a nice like almost a knurled grip in yeah. the pvc that you, you can it. use um and then a buddy of mine he's been making equipment for me for a while he's making new squat racks for a high school uh dean at black widow training gear dean loves to do custom stuff so you could tell dean hey i've got a pull-up bar it looks like the diameter of that is an inch dean yep make me a two inch you know grippy pipe with knurling that i could slide over the one inch so he'd have to bore out the middle but yep. he you knurled um slide on thick grip attachments so to speak oh that's beautiful yeah i'm totally doing that <laughs> uh, kind of jealous because i can't do that anywhere <laughs> like i have nowhere to like that has the open end on each mm -hmm. side. And uh, I saw, man, I saw on Instagram, a college football team training. Where the heck were they? I think it was Naval Academy. And they have off the squat rack, the neutral grip and overhand grip. I don't know if they made every pull up artist way, but they were fat. They were, nice. they were like, they were probably two inch in diameter. Cool. Cool. Or it was Naval Academy. Yeah. Oh, th those are a lot of fun. I don't know if you've ever seen pull-up bars with like, like a, a, a ball, like a sphere on them. Yeah. Yes. And the complex here, uh, this is a very new modern complex. They've got a very, very nice gym down downstairs, uh, which is why my friends were like, why are you installing that thing when you've got that kick-ass gym downstairs? I'm like, oh, I want something literally where I can use it where I live. But they've got a lot of those types of grips, the balls that you can grab onto. In, in the gym of your uh, apartment or condo area? Yeah, I got to show you a video of this place. I mean, the gym it, itself sold me on this. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is a gym I would legitimately like have a membership to. It's not like they... I've heard that fitness is uh, like very 
it's just like the normal thing in Colorado. People are biking, running outdoors a lot. Looks yep. like you have more than one bike. You got a mountain bike. What do you have a road bike too? Yeah, I used to have three. Oh my gosh. When I moved here the, within one week of moving to this complex, I had two of my three bikes stolen. Uh, and yeah, it was a rough week. <laughs> you don't so, have cameras or anything like that. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I, one one of because they have a bike locker here and it's a small apartment so i was originally like where the heck do i put my three bikes <coughs> and they're like oh we got a bike locker i'm like great and it was this place is locked down like fort knox there every door in the entire complex has a bluetooth keypad that you have to unlock with your phone uh i have to go through three locks just to get to my apartment it's crazy so i'm like okay this is secure and within a week two bikes were gone so it's got and, everybody in the complex, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm figuring. Um, unfortunately, that's the thing out here in Denver, though, is Denver is a space where there's a lot of interest in fitness. There's also a lot of money out here. So high-end bikes are everywhere. I mean, you know, for I've got friends who wouldn't bat an eye at spending ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 on a mountain bike. And you know you uh, air tag your bikes, you know, those yeah. uh, air tags. Yeah. <clears throat> and then well, now he just shows up in front of somebody's house. Hey, guys, <laughs> I, I think you accidentally took my bike. It accidentally <laughs> like, you accidentally uh, started pedaling away. Accidents happen. Uh, yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that bike there, uh, the red one, that's that's only about a month old. I got that a month ago from the insurance and everything. But I used to have three, but long story short, you mentioned two. So I got a road bike up there. I got the mountain bike and I still need to get my commuter bike back. Uh, so uh, usually I have three, one for road mountain and one to just ride to work. Yeah. Yeah, heartbreaking to hear that people's, you know, adults take things that aren't theirs. You know, I had my bike stolen in third grade and it still scars me to this day. And yeah, yeah it stinks. Yeah, I know. It's just. You know, you get those like, God, just leave me in a locked room alone with them for five minutes kind of thing. It pisses you off because you know it's not just that something of yours is getting taken, but, you know, bikes are, you know, part of just my livelihood. It's, it, it'd be one thing if someone stole my phone or, you know, or even my car to a degree because it's like, yeah, it's my car. It's a tool and stuff. But bikes for me have always been part of like who I am. It's what I do. And you take my bikes, it's like taking away my dog kind of thing. It's like, like this, is, this that, is part of me. Interesting that somebody local would do it. My son got his bike stolen a couple of years ago. I don't know how long ago, three years ago. <clears throat> he got picked up from school early on a Friday. So he left his bike at school. And we're in a very like bubble type town. He didn't lock it up, even though he had a bike lock on there. Mm -hmm. So Saturday morning, he wants to go out and meet his friends. He realizes the bike's not in the garage. He's like, oh, shit, it's at the school. And I was like, you better. I was like, you better hope that bike is there. We get there. Of course, it's gone. He's, you know, doesn't know what to do. He's, you know, all heartbroken. I start looking on Facebook Marketplace to see if anybody's selling it. And I think, like, you know, there's some transient people that might come through town. They could have just grabbed his bike and hopped on a bus. And then they're like living, you know, three, four, five towns over. 
Um, so we never got that bike back. But my wife made me buy him a new bike the next day because I pulled kids over and made them flip the bikes over while I checked the, uh, you know, he's <laughs> like, you're going to get us yep. or you're going to get arrested. You're crazy. <laughs> so I was like, I am crazy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> no secret there. But she was afraid I was going to get sued for like uh force you know uh serial check turn your bike interrogation of children on the playground (laughs) i'm interrogating teenagers kid was like i don't know you know (laughs) yeah you know like i'm saying like very much like you said it's strange world like people taking what's not theirs um Mm -hmm. that's you know that's also what probably like inspired me earlier strength training is uh you know, my bike was stolen. I always said, man, if I was stronger and look was bigger, those kids never would have taken my bike. Yeah, because they literally walked up to you and took it, didn't they? They didn't, like, yeah. wait we for were, you to leave and steal your bike behind your right. back. They walked up and just took it from you. Okay. That's got to be, oh, my gosh. I was in third grade, you know, so I'm like tech, you know, I look at third graders like babies. And right near my house was an apartment complex known for bikes being stolen. But never would I imagine somebody's going to take it in front of you during broad daylight. So there was like eight or ten of us playing football on the field. And my bike was in front of one of the uh, apartments, uh, one of the houses of the kid, upside down. And two kids pull up on one bike. You know, one kid's sitting on the bike. He just walks up on the bike, flips it over. He zips out and he goes right through the middle of the field. He's like, get out of my way, boy. And they were, I don't know how big they were, but as an eight-year-old, I'm looking at them like they were monsters. And none of us did anything. We froze, you know, a bunch of eight-year-old kids. I may have even been, uh, no, it was probably the winter. So, yeah, I probably just turned eight because Mm -hmm. I I had a late birthday. But, you know, I don't know. At eight years old, the, the hardest, you know, what's the toughest thing is like it reminds me. Um, you know, my son plays baseball. <clears throat> the hardest thing about baseball is not watching a kid strike out or in that hardest thing was explaining to my son that when he's on a, another team, if a dad is coaching and he's sitting a lot, that that's like adults might even screw you over. That's like the worst thing I had to like explain to my son, like him trying to wonder like why if he hits the ball far and catches the ball but the coach's son strikes out and throws a fit never sits out i have to explain to you know a baby that there's evil people out there and um you know it might sound a little crazy but i think we we get to see it a lot with social media right you get to see all the things happening out there that should inspire people to be strong and capable um you know i know we're harping on the calisthenics but That is calisthenics is the thing I talk to all the athletes about. So in the summer, I always train the incoming freshmen and they're all weak. It's, you know, 50% of them cannot do one proper pushup. And it's Mm -hmm. like, God, you're you're playing football. You're going to play soccer. How are you going to get off the ground during the game? Right. (laughs) You you literally have to do a pushup. But they it's I told them, I go, we can't lift you up. And I said, you don't need a strength coach to do push-ups. You could right. do it on your own. You could yep. do it on the floor. There, I say they're so expensive, they're free. Yeah. And when push-ups are done correctly, you know, it could actually even become like a leg exercise because you're kind of flexing your legs. Yep. You know, 
or gotta, I don't like to use the word core. I'm more like trunk, but your core has to be locked in because your abs should be flat, not sagging. And so that to me, uh, even a mom texted me. I can't pull it up on this. She texted me because her son joined the underground strength gym. He did a trial on Monday and she said he like wrote down body weight exercises on paper and put it on the refrigerator. (laughs) Probably put down squats, push-ups, lunges because I told him you're going to wake up and you do five reps of each. You're going to come home from school. Well, now it's summertime. I said, you're going to come home in the afternoon or at lunch, five of each. Then after dinner, five of each. Then at night. I go, you're going to be doing 20 a day. You do squat, lunch, push-up, five each. Take you not even a minute. So I said, it'll take you three or four minutes a day. I go, you'll have done 20 in a day. 20 times seven is what? 140. So you're going to do 140 in a week. 280 in two weeks, you know, by the end of the month, you're at 560, you know, by the end of the year, you're past 6,000 reps. If all you do is five at a time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is like you and I now we're like, quote unquote, a little bit older. And I think it's actually healthy to do kind of these micro workouts rather than I'm working out for one hour. And then the mm-hmm. rest of the day is, what is the rest of your day sitting, you know, working in an office or stuck behind a computer? It's better to do a little bit in the morning, do a little bit of activity later, like a lot of that micro dosing. And uh, I have a friend that uh, works with uh, Army Special Forces, Delta Force, you know, like one of the best in the world, if not the best. I know there's always an argument to who's the best, the name yeah. of Delta. But he's like, I do a lot of micro dosing with them because they're constantly doing uh training of some sort he's like so we we don't often have like an hour of training time blocked off for them they might have an hour to to get lunch so they'll come here for 15 minutes go and eat then they might finish the day and come back for another 15 minutes and i do more micro dosing and he said he likes to use a uh, body weight and kettlebells for the yep. micro in which uh i give that same advice to adults who are busy uh, one dad, one guy emailed me. He's a new dad. Uh, they just had a baby. I said, keep one kettlebell somewhere in the house. So you walk by the kettlebell, you might do 10 swings. Uh, you might do a goblet squat curl. Um, you might do 10 snatches, you know, throughout your day, you could sneak in pull-ups, push-ups, dips, I think are a little bit tough on the shoulders without a warm up. Um, you know, so you got that, uh, pull-up mechanism, you got rings, uh, recline round. You mentioned isometrics. You know, I've been pushing isometrics a lot because they are good for building tendon and ligament strength. So athletes need that very much. So um, they also need it to uh, recover from injury. It's been uh, researched that it improves recovery rates. I, I don't know what I've seen, but it is a uh, significant speeding increase of speed to recovery and uh, as we get older like your body starts to kind of uh break down easier so i do everything i can to get strong so i uh, incorporate isometrics more than ever these past few years because athletes are injured more than ever and uh, i've also found that it helps like i have it uh, i was just writing the workout for the freshman for tomorrow and one of the exercises is isometric lunge hold. So I'm going to teach them. You're going to get, you know, a little bit lower than a half lunge. 
your knee will be an inch or two above the ground, and you're going to hold that for 15 seconds, switch for 15 seconds. But you could really push it for a minute or several minutes. But uh, high school kids, they get a little bit bored, and you need to move them around. So I find ways to microdose it with them, and they get stronger by holding the position. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those those two things, the microdosing and the, the isometrics, those have become – uh, tried and true staples of everything I've been doing lately. One of the straps back there is an ISO trainer. Uh, it enhances the isometrics. Basically, like if you're in a lunge, so you can run the strap under your foot and you're grabbing onto the handles so you can add just that much more resistance to the muscles that you're using. And everybody has the same reaction the first time they do it is they'll get down into that lunge position and they'll be like, okay, yeah, this is challenging. This is hard. I'm like, good. Now try to stand up against that strap. And of course they can't, but they try. And immediately they're, the look on their face is like, holy mother of God, like what sorcery is this? My leg is going absolutely crazy. It's, oh my gosh, it's cramping up. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's that easy to work the muscle that hard. And it really helps a lot, funny enough, with the athleticism and the explosiveness that especially older adults tend to lose out on as we get older, they lose that power, they lose that stability, but the isometrics are wonderful for that. And again, the microdose, just do this once or twice a day for like 10 seconds each, it'll totally transform how your legs feel and perform underneath you. Yeah, it's funny because it sounds like so little, like it's not like, oh, 10 seconds here, 20 seconds there. But uh, the key is just that regular activity of the body. But yeah, isometrics, real interesting how uh, that is the way. Like we have a football player who's been going to a lot of camps for the colleges to look at him. And uh, he's a running back, a wide receiver. So he's doing sprinting, cut, you know, turn, put on the brakes. He's like, oh, I went to the doctor. Of course, the doctor says Oshgood Schlatter's and Patella. Mm -hmm tendon syndrome i'm like that's kind of like doctors have kind of these blanket statements maybe it's true but i mm -hmm. said okay, you need to do isometric work and we need to do stuff for your posterior chain so we got to do back yeah. extensions uh back extension holds trap bar deadlift holding in the middle or down with a slow eccentric the doctor um recommended to him leg presses and it's like bro we don't even have a leg press. And I said, if you do a squat or deadlift, it's a standing leg press. Like I just tried to keep the word leg press in there to get them to believe. Yep. But listen, a lot of doctors, not all, but many doctors are simply not experts in physical fitness at all. They kind of, uh, you know, there's a book out called Don't Let Your Doctor Kill You and <laughs> by a doctor. And this doctor, when she was going through medical school and residency, she said they were trained. What the uh, other senior doctor said was, you know, if you let's say I was a doctor, you were the patient. I was told, do not make an emotional connection with Matt Schifferly. Just treat Matt's shoulder, treat his knee. Don't start you know, oh, Matt, you're from Colorado. I'm from Colorado. Now I feel bad. And I'm going to like, no, give Matt the medicine for his knee. Give him the shot for his knee. You're treating his knee. It's a knee, period. End of story. And uh, she's like, I did not like that. I did not feel good at that. I wanted to understand where was some of this 
you know, pain or disease or illness coming from. And so she wrote that book. And look, you write a book like that, you get blacklisted from the community, you know, a medical community. I mean, look now what happened, you know, with COVID, so many uh, doctors. Keep going. I got to just plug in my computer real quick, Zach. Yeah. For some reason, my battery is getting drained super fast. Too Keep much, going. Too much awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of doctors, you know, they. I think doctors were getting told they will, you know, lose their uh, medical uh, practice license if they weren't encouraging, you know, the COVID vaccine. So it's interesting. Like I, you know, a lot of doctors look, they're experts in surgery or treating with some sort of a shot or pill. Whereas yep. we are experts in um, fixing and healing through movement, through strength training. Strength training is, you know, a myriad of different things. So yeah, interesting to hear that the kid was uh, told to leg press. You know, I said, hey, back extensions, slow motion eccentric, trap bar deadlift, uh, slow eccentric, holding mid-range position or hold above or below area of pain and uh, iso, lunge iso holds. And um, that's what's interesting, too, is like as, as a strength coach, you need some kind of foundational I don't even know if this is a proper word, like prehab rehab knowledge, because mm -hmm. everybody is showing up with some sort of like, this hurts, that hurts, this doesn't feel right. My shoulder doesn't feel good here. Okay. I had a freshman say that my shoulder doesn't feel good here. All right. What did you do yesterday after we lifted? Did you go to the gym? Did you do extra work? Nope. I just did push-ups throughout the day. I was like, okay, what exercise bothers you? He said the floor press. I said, all right. So for the floor presses today, we're going to skip them. Did the push-ups hurt? No. Okay. You're going to do push-ups. And at the end of your push-ups, you're going to do a 10 second hold. You could do the top, the middle, or an inch from the floor, whatever doesn't hurt. And at the end of the workout, and also we snuck in a lot of dead hangs, which is isometrics on the grip, but it opens the shoulder. It's traction on your shoulder and back. He's like, yeah, my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. Now, did the isometrics fix it? I don't know. Did the blood flow help? I don't know. But you know, today, dumbbell floor press didn't feel good for him. Normally, that feels good for people because it's a limited range of motion. We go neutral grip. But I, I'm like a, uh, you know, I, I am a trustee of the isometrics. I'm going to throw them in. Uh, we have it in our warm-ups. So uh, adults, for sure, like you said, it helps bring back that strength and power. And I think it's also not intimidating for newcomers who maybe don't have the balance, you know, lunges. We think, I don't want to say we, but coaches out there that haven't had enough experience, they under, they uh, over-assume what somebody's capable of. You know, they think everybody could do a lunge. No. And that might scare people to actually step and push back and the whole balance and power beyond it. Hey, no problem come right inside this squat rack or hold on to these straps, put your leg back a little bit, bend your, bend both knees two to three inches for me. All right. You feel good there. Hold that for 10 seconds. Good. Did 10 seconds each leg. Next set. Let's go 15 or 20 seconds. Okay. Third set. How long do you think you want to go for? You want to try 30 seconds? You know? Yeah. All right. I'll go 30. No, I don't feel so good. I, I don't know. I'll go 20. I think I could do 45 seconds. All right, go for it. Here we go. So I'll give them a little, you know, option, a little bit of a choice. But isometrics can be 
increased by going weighted. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Jim Wendler. Um, I don't know if you follow Jim at all, but Jim doesn't even lift weights anymore. He does all body weight. He does. Um, wow, that I did not know. I, I followed Jim, but that apparently I need to catch back up with him. <laughs> yep. He, uh, for years now, he's been basically doing like half a Murph twice a day. So instead of running, he does the air dime, puts mm -hmm. on a vest, I think a 40, and he'll do squats, lunges, push-ups. Or he'll do, you know, uh, and he does like, you know, 150 squats or 200 squats, 100 push-ups, 50 pull-ups. He'll sometimes do it twice a day. He's like, Zach, my arms are always pumped. I just feel leaner. Uh, but I'll have our advanced lifters at my gym do lunge iso holds with heavy dumbbells you know like 90 pound dumbbells in each hand that changes things and cal Dietz, he's in uh, minnesota he incorporates isometrics in uh his program called triphasic oh no he does overcoming isometrics so he's like pulling so a barbell that's kind of locked in somewhere pulling it or a split squat pulling it so he doesn't just do holding of the position he does the overcoming. Yeah. 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 That's always what I've been a big fan of. One of the isometric challenges that I had way back in the day, I used to work at this one gym and I always had the late shift and it was not a very popular gym. So it'd be like two people in the whole thing, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night when I was working there. But um, <laughs> we'd have these, these guys come in and we just hang out. You know, I wasn't really working, you know, as we just hang out, we give each other these challenges. And one of the ones that I still remember was hold the top of a pull-up for a minute. Like storm hang. Yeah. And it was the same every time someone tried it. They'd get up there and they'd be like, oh, okay, I got this. And in about five seconds, their look on their face would just, Shit. oh, dear Lord. Because when you're doing pull-ups, you're there for like maybe half a second, maybe a Correct. quarter of a second. So five seconds feels like an eternity. And they're like, you, you're telling me I've got to do this for a minute. And, but the thing is, we always could make it because it was such a great way to test that resiliency of the mind of how well can you do this? Even though every thing in the back of your head is saying this, I've got to stop. There's no way, but can you keep doing it? And everyone always would took them a few tries, but they yeah. could always yeah. do it. You got to like Jedi mind trick yourself into enjoying it. <laughs> uh, with with my uh, wrestlers, I will incorporate like what you were saying. You could bang out the pull-ups. So I might say, all right, we're we're doing pull-ups. We're mixing the grips. We're doing weighted pull-ups. Well, now you're going to do a pull-up, but at the top, you're going to go for a three count. If you're a killer, you're going to do a five count. Then you're going to lower yourself and go back up. Somebody who could normally do six to eight reps is down to two or three reps. We could do it also on the recline row. Uh, we use the rings on the recline row, but that holding, it gets you strong. Do you know who popularized um, isometrics in America? Well, I mean, you, the um, York isometric rack was a big thing back yeah. in the day. Um, Bob Hoffman, you know, yeah. I, I actually uh, saw one of those in a home one time. And I thought that was that's the, the worst yeah. rack I'd ever seen, I'm not realizing what it was. Um, but and yeah, I, I remember that, that, that was really big back in the day. I think he has, uh, you could probably find it on eBay. I, I have some Bob Hoffman books, right? They're all kind of piled up. You see these books here. Yep. All these, it probably would be in this one, strength and development, but I believe he has a book. 
dedicated to isometrics. Maybe I'm wrong. Have to look it up. But, mm. um, you know, now you're technically you're on the West Coast, but you could still find in uh, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, older men or maybe these men passed away. And now it's like the son or daughter selling their their dad's old squat rack and they like oh i don't know what this thing is i never saw this is piece of junk actually no it's a york isometric rack and yep. uh, i saw somebody selling one recently on facebook for 75 bucks i was like i should buy it you know of course i have no room for it but um it's like i'm like those guys the american pickers except i'm a, american pickers for strength training equipment <laughs> yes Oh man, the stuff that you can run across. That's just amazing. I remember um, the old equipment company, Marcy. Yeah. Corporate isometric racks in their weight machines. Um, one of, uh, one of the, the classic Bruce Lee books, uh, Tuttle Publishing came out with a bunch of books all about his training methods. And there's yeah. one, I think, it, I think it was called Expressing the Human Body. And it was all about Bruce Lee's strength and conditioning methods. And the funny story is, hmm? who put the book out, Matt? Marcy did, or the no? It, I think it's Tuttle or Turtle Publishing. Yeah, what's it called? Um, write that down. Expressing Expressing the Human Body. Unusual title, but um, it went really more into the depth of what was Bruce Lee's conditioning methods like, and he had this Marcy, kind of like a universal machine but it was a universal machine kind of combined with an isometric rack where it had the, the four pins. So you could push oh, up against the pins and stuff. You know what? And yeah. Look, um, so you're in Colorado. Marcy equipment was made in California, which mm. makes sense because Bruce Lee was in uh, San Francisco, right? Palo Alto. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, that area, the barrier. Yep. Yeah. I bet you could find some interesting used stuff in the california colorado um i'm not so good with my geography what's the state that's neighboring you nevada nevada yeah utah i and you know that kind of equipment um jack lane also had maybe he used the universal machine mm -hmm. but uh it's interesting now that i've gotten older i'm like man i would get one of those universal machines the one that was in my high school back in yeah. the 80s with the leg press, the machine bench press. Um, yep. I saw an old football video from the NFL and they were training on those machines, except instead of it pressing at the same time, Matt, you, the stacks were uh, parallel to each other, but they were unilateral individuals. So look, I would oh, be wow. like, press, press, press. Um, I posted on my Instagram a couple months ago. I can't remember what team it was, but it was great. And there's old photos of football teams their quote-unquote weight room was outdoors so i'm assuming it was like west coast teams they had like multiple isometric racks and they just yep. train outside and of course you know uh herschel walker even though herschel walker wasn't in the nfl he was in that league that donald trump owned i think it was called the afl or ufl like american football league or united mm -hmm. football. but you know herschel walker was calisthenics and sprints but he did high volume and high repetition like very piston like calisthenics where yeah. i wonder like you know uh knowing what he knows now and just what the equipment would he do uh weighted pull-ups and weighted push-ups and things like that because 
Um, not everybody has the strength to do those high reps, but I think eventually you got to add weight uh, to just to break things up. You know, I created that body weight bodybuilding program and I basically uh, modified the West Side barbell slash conjugate method, which like max effort, dynamic effort, and then repetition method is like high reps for building muscle. And then yep. I create like a freestyle day where you got to walk on your hands, get outside, go on the monkey bars. It had to be training that really forced your body to move as a unit and kind of move like an animal. Uh, coach Ethan Reeve, who, who was the strength coach at Wake Forest for 19 years for football, he sent me a video a couple weeks ago on Facebook of uh, gorillas like wrestling and playing and chasing each other. He's like, I study how these apes and gorillas move and try to mimic it in our training. He's like, so what did we do? We used monkey bars. We climbed ropes. We jumped on things. We jumped over things to build athleticism. We tumbled. We wrestled. So when he would train football players, he would implement a lot of that kind of wrestling style work, which uh, now we see strength coaches trying to implement grappling into football skills where I always tell rest, I always tell football players, Hey, join the wrestling team. You know, you think you're not going to be strength training. Well, guys, you're lifting weights. You're lifting a human weight, nothing harder than that. That gets you strong. Yeah. So it was cool that coach Reeve was talking about that stuff. And now with social media, we've seen people really show their very unique backyard gyms that look like playgrounds and things like that. Um, I would be up for doing something like that, like building. I'd have to hire a welder, have to hire my buddy, Dean. Say, Dean, make me parallel bars so I could walk on my hands. The elementary school I used to teach at in Edison had parallel bars. It had like a pull-up area with rings so you could kind of climb across the rings. Uh, we had monkey bars that went like this, kind of up and then down. Okay? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. an A-frame. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and now, you know, you see companies making it like Sorenex. They make it, they call it a bridge, but you never see people using them. It's like this showpiece, but nobody's using them. You know who would use them? You need to put them inside of wrestling rooms where the wrestlers can begin that kind of training. So, or they would like incorporate it into their warm up. Because when you do all that, like climbing and hanging, your grip gets so strong. And your shoulders are healthy because you're constantly traction, tractioning them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, do um, I know they have these, they have those like climbing gyms, probably a lot of them by you, right? Climbing. Oh gym. yeah. Ton of them. Ton do of those them. People have back problems and shoulder problems. They do not because of their abs and their flexibility of the hips and legs. And it just goes to show you like the answer is oftentimes in your own body. You know, just mm -hmm. having a conversation is inspiring me because today at my gym, um, I don't have, I have monkey bars, but we don't have a whole lot of room. I think we have five poles. So we don't just walk like across them. We get this way, boom, shimmy forward, shimmy back, shimmy forward, shimmy back. You might start with your elbows bent, which is isometrics on the biceps, grip and shoulders. Then eventually your arms are straight and you're kind of reaching and grabbing almost like, you know, Tarzan would do from one vine to the next. Yeah. It, you can't measure it like, oh, did I bench press more, squat more, 
you can't really measure. You could measure how long you do it and whatnot, but it gets people strong. There's no denying it. Yeah, I got. <laughs> you're mentioning all these toys, and uh, one of the things coming back, you know, was mentioning that in, the, the mini incline at Philip S. Morris Park. You know, that's that's great, the mini incline. But at the base, a couple of years ago, they built this massive, like American Ninja Warrior kind of calisthenics playground. It's really big, and it's got all of that stuff. It's got ropes. It's got the bridge it's got monkey bars it's got all kinds of fun toys to play with parallel bars you can walk on all that stuff down hmm? they took it down or it's still there nope it's still there they built it and then the pandemic hit and they roped it all off and uh then it opened back up once uh the lockdown released. how did the ropes uh get like do they deteriorate with the weather no uh because out here i mean colorado is really sunny and it's really dry uh, when we get rain, we get rain, but uh, we've got over 300 days of sun a year out here. So technically, we're high desert uh, as far as an ecosystem goes. So it's it's pretty, I mean, some of the, they've got some makeshift suspension straps there, and they get kind of beat up, but the ropes are holding up great. That's awesome that yeah. uh, done it because, you know, uh, I remember in the school district I taught at in the early 2000s, you know, that's when I started getting into the strength and conditioning. So my friend and I would take a sled, a prowler, a sandbag, a couple of kettlebells. We'd go to a playground at mm. these elementary schools so we could use the monkey bars, the parallel bars. Well, I remember at one of the schools, somebody got hurt and um, they erected the whole uh, playground system. All you saw was mulch. They ripped the friggin' thing out. Oh, my and God. Yeah, I remember like a girl at my at the school broke her hand and the principal says to me, I think I'm going to take it down. I said, the exact reason you should never take it down is because these kids have to learn to move like somebody was on the monkey bars. And when they let go and landed on their feet, instead of like catching in a squat, they like planted their like a Spider-Man landing, how he lands and puts his hands down. Mm -hmm. Girl did that and I think broke her uh, wrist. And mm. they got to learn how to absorb through the legs, not the hands, right? But mm -hmm. what's the first answer? Take it all down. Yeah. And, and then we have kids, you know, that are entering high school that can't do a push-up. Yeah. You know, if you're in athletics, you have to uh, do that yourself. Or if you're a, a coach in a recreation level, the kid, you should be teaching the kids how to do push-ups. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. They've got to learn to move more than anything else. We've got uh, uh, yesterday, I was training a guy in his garage and his son came out and his son was all like, oh, can I, you know, play with you guys? He thought we were playing around. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Come on, come on in. And he's probably like 12, maybe 11, 12. And, you know, I, I, very simple things, giving him some crawling movements, some squats, yep. some lunges, nothing fancy and stuff. And he's moving. Okay. He's, he's pretty good athletic and i was like so you play sports you do this stuff and he's like no no they don't do this in the schools at all like what is this called a lunge i'm like oh my gosh oh like, wow, wow. yeah today i had freshman soccer players who could not lunge i'm like yeah. you know but look my son too plays baseball basketball i would have hoped that the warm-up would have skipping bear crawls frog jumps 
uh, bear crawl. I like to do the lateral push-up walk. Yep. They don't do any of that. Well, it's like, yo, you want kids to throw the ball 80 miles an hour, but they can't do a push-up. Like, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand that that does not add up in a, in a healthy manner. That's not safe for yeah. us to be able to whip a ball that fast, but they can't do a push-up. Yeah. You it's, know? It's a, it's a tough world. It's like, on one hand, we've got so much more than when I was growing up. When right. I was growing up, I had nothing. I had no gyms, no access to anything. And I was still finding how do I still work out? How do I still do something? And now it's like with the internet and social media and here in Colorado, we got gyms on every corner. We've got so much more than before. And yet we're, we're even losing ground somehow. Yeah. I, I and yeah. If we look around, you know, I don't know what the research says and blah, 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 but I don't need research. Like I tell people, look, I went to the Apple store. I'm in there for like three hours getting this whole phone fixed up. You know, hundreds, a, a thousand plus people walked in and out of that store. Not one of them, man or woman, looked like they could do a push up. That's mm. normal people. We think because we're so into this, Matt, that we are normal. Oh, Everybody's into this. Oh, there's so many people watching my video and commenting. You know, the country has a, you know, I don't know how many billions of people, but you go, you need to go to where the masses are. Go to a concert, go to a mall, go to a supermarket. That's your everyday people. Yeah. And it's like even our athletes forget, you know, why don't our athletes do push ups? Because the people coaching these sports, for some reason are not doing it. You know, I'm pro I think I'm like 10 years or more than that older than you. I'm 47, but as a kid, I remember in the 80s, the warm up was jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, running. Um, you know, those things don't get done anymore. They're just like, no. "Oh, it's a baseball warm up. Start throwing the ball to each other." No. Let's jog down and back. Let's skip down and back. Let's side shuffle down and back. Let's lunge down and back. Let's uh, do some spring jumps, pogo jumps. Let's walk on our hands down and back. Okay, now we could start. Let's do cartwheels. What are you doing in a cartwheel? You're in a handstand. You're strengthening the shoulders, the elbows, the triceps. You're building hip flexibility, groin mobility. I mean, uh, but look, kids can't do push-ups. And here I am talking about doing other things. Our warm-up at my gym is big time surrounded with calisthenics <clears throat> last year I had a coach, you know, who was interning. He, I wouldn't say it was a coach. He was interning. And, you know, I said to him after he was, you know, given these kind of like uh, every week, your assignment is like create a different workout. And I give them, Hey, you know, give me a workout for a middle school baseball player. Who's been here for 30 days. Give me a workout for an in-season basketball player. Who's been here two years. Give me, you know, two weeks. And there's no body weight. And I said, because you don't value body weight training, these kids won't buy in. You know, he was overweight. You know, he was fat. Okay. That's what I'm saying. He was fat. Yeah. I said, can you do a pull-up? He's like, probably not. I said, you're not, you're not, you're 19 or 20. if you can't do pull-ups at that age, that's not good. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had to kind of remind myself the underground strength gym live the code three, six, five is about a high standard of work ethic and excellence and 
putting yourself through it if you want to coach others. You know, don't talk about it, be about it. And so I said, listen, I don't, I'm going to cut you from this internship for the next year. I think you should immerse yourself in training. I don't know if you listened, didn't listen, but that's the bottom line is you got to live this. And uh, a big part of my certifications is always body weight training because I could go to an isometric push-up hold into a, somebody holding your ankles, doing a plyo push-up wheelbarrow you know like we can make it as advanced and as crazy as we want but the real power comes from those basics really getting good at those basics and i'm i get excited on the basics i don't know why i get excited about it yeah well it's it's just where you get the most direct stimulus to what you want you know it's hitting the nail right on the head you know if you're thirsty you drink water like what about this fancy electrolyte it's like water like it's more direct as possible I'm so tired. What stretches should I do? What are the, well, go to bed an hour early. Okay. Good. Yeah. At least try, let's get nine hours of sleep. You're sleeping seven, get nine hours of sleep. I remember reading, um, man, it may have been Bill Pearl. It may have been Chuck Sipes, one of the golden era, one of the silver era bodybuilders. And, um, in the program, it was nine hours of sleep. Nope. It was Steve Reeves, Steve Reeves. Oh, wow. Yeah. Steve Reeves was like, you know, go to bed at 9 p.m., wake up at 7 a.m. That's like 10 hours of sleep. Oh, that's how you get strong. You sleep. Oh, I thought I'd stay up on my phone till 1 a.m. and then wake up at 6 (laughs) a.m. for practice. That's why you don't get strong. That's also, you know, this poor lifestyle habits is going to um, massively bring about like, um, you know, illness and disease. I think when you're running your body down, like, cancer can live in you and all this food you know i'd be interested to hear how where you guys get your food from if you're going to like a farm or what you're doing out there we got we have a lot of local stuff here even if you go to king supers the the local grocery stores here a lot of our food is very local um it's funny how people out here they take it for granted but when i was growing up in vermont you know, we don't have much of a growing season there. So when the summertime would hit, farmers markets were really big. Like, oh my gosh, we can get local produce. This is amazing. But out here, because one, Denver's got a very long growing season, but two, we've got amazing like infrastructure connectivity as far as being able to import things really quick. There's a sushi restaurant that I like to frequent. It, it's not cheap, but they'll literally put a fish down in front of you and be like, that fish was in Japan seven hours ago or something crazy like that. Yeah. It's like, you can get food really good, real, really cheap, uh, not so much cheap, but uh, really, really fresh out here. And that's the standard that is normal. I don't think, I mean, obviously we're not growing bananas out here or anything, but uh, you go into the supermarkets and half the meat came from, you know, 50 miles of here and stuff. And that's just normal supermarket. That's not a, you know, super special one. Yeah. Speaking of that, when I was at a event at Soranex called winter strong, one Mm -hmm. of the guys, um, has, you know, like a massive farm. It's called, uh, I think primal meats. He's Mm -hmm. some Colorado. Yeah. Primal. So all, you know, farm raised meats. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff is really big out here. It's really, really prevalent. And it's not hard to find at all. I mean, just the 
the local thoroughfare here in Denver, uh, 38th Street, we've got like three specialty grocery stores that's all local, all farm-raised, farm-to-table kind of stuff. That's on one street. So it, like you were saying before, like we think this is normal out here. <laughs> yeah. You know, we think that kind of thing is normal. But you step outside of Colorado when I visit my parents on the East Coast and it's like, wow, holy smokes, this is what you guys call a cheeseburger out here. This is where your meat's from. Like, wow, that is you can not what I'm used to. <laughs> you get to taste the difference. So um, during COVID, my wife and I started going to a, a, a farm in Pennsylvania and you could see the cows. And there's, you could see cows further, you know, there's cows further than your eyes could see. They have so much property. They rotate all the animals to different parts. And um, I don't buy meats from supermarkets. I get a lot of ground beef from this farm. Mm -hmm. And I have a bunch of like uh, hens, I guess. So I got to like look at how to bake them uh, and baste them before I bake them. But the quality and the richness you can taste it. And then when you look at the cows, his cows are not fat. They got all this room to move. They're almost like muscular looking. Whereas mm -hmm. I was uh, about two summers ago, my son had uh, Cooperstown, New York baseball. And I was like, oh, yeah. away. so I stayed in a hotel 30 minutes away. And when I uh, drove, I drove past like a, I guess like a cow farm and there you know, like this, they're squeezed together like books on a bookshelf. And I was like, oh, shit, that's where that's what goes into the supermarkets. These cows that are just overfed and yep. they literally have nowhere to move. Nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why the meat is so tough. <laughs> disgusting. And yeah. um, so, you know, I have two high school kids. My son will be in high school this fall. Mm. But, uh, you know, a lot of boys have boobs and beer bellies and they don't drink beer. And they're not women, you know, but they have breasts. And it's like, listen, of course, a lack of strength training and a lack of muscle is the problem. But all that like hormone infested meat is killing this younger generation, killing them. It's horrible. And it's a lot of it's not even meat at this point. You know, I mean, it's one thing to get a steak from a grocery store, you know, and even if it's not, it's still steak. But when. They're like, you eat meat. It's like, yeah, I eat like Slim Jims, <laughs> you know, and stuff like it's like uh, your meat's coming not from a grocery store. It's coming from 7-Eleven. Like this is not this is like, does it even call meat at that point? There, I heard somebody long ago say like we call that a red light food. If it's in like a package, a wrapper, like that's probably a red light food. A green light food is something that is expiring soon. It's a fruit. It's a vegetable. It's meat. And it's something um, that's not like having, look at some milk will expire, you know, 60 days from now. I'm like, ah, 60 days. That's what I'm saying. Like, how is that? <laughs> yeah. How, how does that make sense? So when I go to uh, the Pennsylvania farmer, I buy raw milk. I don't really drink too much milk, but my son will drink the raw milk. And uh, I buy my eggs from <clears throat> a uh, nearby town. And uh, they put the eggs in front of the house at the end of the driveway in that big, like, box, whatever they call it. And you see all the chickens in the front of their house running all over the place. And then when they want to go back into their hen, they do. They're legitimate free range. Whereas I mm -hmm. think um, the definition of free range is something like two square feet of room to move. Maybe I'm thinking of it. But the definition of the eggs we're buying in the supermarkets, it's all, like, 
you know, they really bullshitted the, uh, they twisted the words. You know? Yeah. I heard from someone saying that free range is technically that there's a window open, like in the building they're being kept in or something like that. It's like, that. Or they how have, does that work? <laughs> yeah, or it's like an hour out of the day, they have a certain, yeah, it's, yeah. it's farmed. It, it's, you know, farming in a bad way. It sucks. Yeah. Just like it's all the all the labels, you know, all the, you know, I, I swear oh, half of the the healthy food trends that come out there are just from companies that are looking for a loophole to get around. You know, like, oh, if we say it's organic or we say it's like vegan or whatever, then we can make junk food <clears throat> to be whatever. We just got to slap this label on it and people will be convinced that it's healthy and good for them. Yeah. Regardless of like, what is the food actually made of? You know, like, no, we got a label on it. That means it's good for you. You know, they've, uh, the, the, uh, FDA has allowed a lot of like, they've really tweaked the meaning, you know, organic used to mean something now organic might mean only I'm just making shit up only five, you know, non-organic substances or we'll still call it organic. You know, those yep. five, those five, uh, you know, ingredients might be extremely, uh dangerous for you but hey it met it met the uh, definition of you know up to five you know non-organic or whatever it is but the the more you know where the food's coming from the better absolutely yeah and too just knowing how it makes you feel too because i i one of the things i worry about zach is that we're making so much complacency about our health, more of the normal, like it's normal to be tired all the time. It's normal to be sore. It's normal to be aches and pains. It's normal to be on five kinds of medications by the time you're 40. You know, it feels like the standard is getting lower and lower these days. And now like, I'm, I'm like you, I'm more middle-aged and I meet new people out and they're like, wait, you're, you're 45 and you don't have a belly. You don't have bad knees. You don't have three medications. I'm like, no. And they're like, oh my gosh. I'm like, how is that unusual now? Because you, you're training regularly, I feel it makes you look 10 years younger. It's yeah. not odd to meet people. And then if you don't exercise, you look 10 to 12 years older. Mm -hmm. Easily. Easily. And uh, a lot of things are kind of geographically influenced. Like you're in Colorado, a very active state. Uh, I was up in North Jersey last Wednesday to do a uh, certification <clears throat> for somebody. And I noticed all the dads were like built. You could tell they were all like into lifting. I live near the beach. There's not, a, I don't see too many dads that have muscles. They're kind of like dad bods. They surf. They're just chill. Drinking, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday during the day is the norm. So they're mm -hmm. drinking three days out of the week. And uh, I was like, man, the just driving an hour and a half North Jersey changed what the adult men looked like. So the, the uh, geographical location can influence you dramatically in a good or bad way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's it's kind of like we're in some ways we're a product of our environment. We're a product of the people we hang out with. Yes. You know, it's the old idea. You, you're the product. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or the 10 people you spend the most yeah. time with. So it's basically about establishing your <laughs> own normal. Like what's normal in one person is totally unnormal for another. So you've got to look at your life and you've got to look at what you're doing and be like, What's the normal that I want? Because it's like a multi-universe thing. 
It's, you go uh, to one universe to another universe, and what's normal there is not normal in another place. It's the same thing here. You go to different places. You hang out with different people. For some people, it's normal to be buried under credit card debt. Other people, it's normal to have several million dollars in the bank. You know, it's what is normal, and then how do you establish a different level of normal for yourself so that it's it, what you want versus what you're settling for? Yeah. And then, you know, if a dads or parents ask me, hey, how do I get my kids into this exercise? I was like, oh, my kids have been seeing me do it since they were babies. You know, they've seen me climbing the rope in the garage. They've seen me sprinting up and down the street. They've seen me lifting weights. So it was, it was, they believed it was normal activity. They didn't think it was something <clears throat> that had to uh, uh, be, I had to tell them to do it. Uh, now what's cool is like kind of trying to tell my son, like, listen, you have a baseball tournament this weekend. So when you go to the gym, you probably don't need to be, you know, trying to max out on your squats and do other, you know, crazy things. Yeah. The, it's a quality problem to have. They want to go and exercise more. Yep. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see where we are. It'll be interesting to see what is the, what this younger generation becomes health wise with not just the physical aspect, but the mental aspect. And yeah. <clears throat> Joe DeSena and I always said, kind of as a joke, but not really. We're like, we should open up a Spartan school. And uh, to enter the doors, you have to do 30 burpees. So before you even come in, you <laughs> do 30 burpees. Well, you know, the meaning behind that or, or the idea behind that is not like, oh, we're going to get you strong and fit. Kind of the idea is more what it does for you mentally, your uh, emotions, your psychological, um, your self-concept. You just managed it 30 burpees. I feel great. My heart is pumping. I got a pump going on. Um, you know, I'm bending up and down, jumping. That's powerful. You know, there's people that don't do 30 burpees in a year. Forget about 30 burpees every day. Mm -hmm. And 30 burpees might take somebody two minutes, three minutes. I don't know. An average person, you do one burpee every five seconds, 20. So it would be three. Yeah. You'd be done in three minutes, 10 burpees a minute. Yep. Yeah. It's in again, going back to, it doesn't have to be this big, long thing. I think a big barrier that a lot of people have is thinking that it's got to be this big deal. Like I got to totally overhaul my diet. I got to work out in the gym three hours. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. No, it's because you have this concept of what you think it's going to take of being so much bigger than it really needs to be. But you get those 10 push-ups a day, you know, five, you know, in the morning, five at night and stuff. That stuff adds up a hell of a lot faster than people think it does. Yeah. And I've done that with my martial arts training for years where I have a little little exercise I do every day, and it's not even three, four minutes most days. I but that I adds up normal. big time. I remember you telling me about this a while ago. I forgot yeah. you were in martial What's the style? Taekwondo. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's not much. I mean, I, and I tell people, and that's the biggest hang-up that I get across with people is I'll tell them, well, just do this one thing. Do this simple thing. It's so... Simple, it's complicated, as you always say. The simplest things, and people, that I, it's the hardest thing for me to get across to people because they're like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, uh, thanks for the advice and stuff. And they think it's got to be big in order to be significant. And nothing's more significant than the small daily habits that we do. Yeah, staying efforting, you know, with the vertical diet, 
uh, his one thing was take a 10 minute walk after each meal, you mm-hmm. know, or, um, 20 minute walk after your last meal, dinner, last yeah. 20 minutes, because it will significant, significantly increase uh, peristalsis, like help with um, utilizing the protein, carbs and fats and uh, utilizing utilizing your nutrients versus I ate. I'm going to go sit on the couch. Nope. Yeah. Just take a 10 minute walk. I think he could, you know, 10 minute walk. He didn't even say 20 minutes because he knew that 20 minutes would overwhelm people. I know if I, let's say I was not in the space, the fitness space. If I hired a coach, I'd be like, listen, I'll pay you the same amount of money that somebody pays you for an hour, but I need to train 30 to 40 minutes. I'll let you know when I get here, if I got 40 minutes, but mm-hmm. I get those same results done. I'd rather pay somebody more to get the same results in less time because now it's actually like I'm doing half the work, but getting twice the results essentially because I'm saving 30 minutes of time for me is really important. It could allow me to send out a newsletter. It could allow to do a a marketing piece for the gym. It's a lot of time for me. And so uh, I don't, I don't want to say I never train for an hour. There's certainly times where I'm doing physical activity for an hour, but my training sessions in the gym are usually not too long. You know, 30, yeah. 35 minutes is like a pretty typical workout. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. And speaking of time, Zach, I mean, I've been chatting your ear off of almost a better part of two hours here. Holy well, I, I destroyed us with the technical. I'm usually not a technical difficulty guy, and I got destroyed on technical difficulty today. Uh, it's my fault, man. My my old <laughs> boss used to always call it Matt's technical vortex. He's like, <laughs> you don't ever go into like a right. nuclear power plant or anything like that because the second you walk in that door, things are going to start shutting down and having problems. He's like, it's my thing. <laughs> So I'll take the blame on that one, believe me. But Zach, I'm sorry we didn't get too much into your book, but folks listening, watching this, get this book. There's links down below. This is a book. I I do have to give you a bit of a warning, though. Do not read this right before you go to bed at night because it's going to get you so amped up and ready to rock and roll. I The last chapter especially, I read it, and I'm like – I'm not sleeping for another hour and a half. I got to go for a run or something. A lot of people <laughs> you know? told me that. I had a dad email, uh, text message me, a dad of one of the kids. He's like, Dane, put down the book. And I started reading it. And 11 pages in, I was dressed and uh, out, to the, out to the garage <laughs> for a workout. And yep. uh, everybody's been inspired by it. So that's been really cool because uh, it's, I don't know. I think the world needs the inspiration and uh somehow this just i just put whatever was in my heart i put it on paper you know this book had to get published and uh i'm excited like to hear you really love it and uh, there's people 20 years older than you and i reading it 20 years younger reading it there's teenagers reading it it's been cool man yeah congratulations on the book zach it's wonderful I hope you sell a billion copies. I hope it it puts a serious dent in the universe, but I know it's changing lives. It's changed mine for the better. And dear watcher, listener, if you read it, it will change yours for the better as well. Zach, any parting words of wisdom before we wrap things up here? Man, I think we crushed it on this, the conversation of overall health. You know, of course we spoke about body weight training. I, man, 
I think it was great, Matt. And um, you're right. It was overdue. So uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And thank you for inviting me on your podcast. It's uh, been awesome to see your success. Really cool. Very good. Thank you very much, Zach. Again, folks, check out Zach's resources down below. Podcast, socials, programs, bodyweight, bodybuilding we mentioned before. I've got it. I've used it before. Uh, whenever I'm looking for ways to really spice up my training and just get really raw into the basics of what it takes to build muscle and strength with bodyweight training, check that program out as well. Highly, highly recommended. That uh, Zach, thanks again so much. And I will chat with you folks later. Till then, be fit and live free.